Okay, our uh, second lesson is from Gospel Matthew, near where we've been lately. So I'm going to read it to you if you want to read along with me. It is obviously right here in the liturgy. God, open our eyes. We would see Jesus, our ears, and we would hear the gospel. Soften our hearts that we might submit more wholeheartedly to the teaching here and to the Lord who taught it. In Christ's name, amen. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, an expert in the law, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them this question. What do you think of the Messiah? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. He said to them, how is it then that David by the Spirit calls him Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If David thus calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one was able to give him an answer, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. This is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. So, we are continuing this morning, that same section of the gospel that we've been in for a few Sundays now. Jesus has entered Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. His popularity with the people is soaring. And, and the corrupt religious leadership has had their eyes on him really since the beginning of his ministry. And from the very beginning, they begin challenging his power and authority. Now, and they've been doing that implicitly and explicitly, now they ramp it up, they amp it up, because Jesus' popularity is just increasing all the time. You know, he's already made the triumphal entry into Jerusalem for Passover, that, that classic reading that we have on Palm Sunday every year. Uh, Hosanna in the highest, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. People are putting down palms and welcoming him into the city. It's messianic. And during Passover, when something like that happens, messianic fever is at high pitch. Jesus, more and more, is seeming like the one, okay? So they are amping up their challenges to him. Um, this morning's encounter that we just read is like the passage that Lee preached on last week in the sense that they're trying to set a trap for him. By the way, if you, had, if you weren't here last week uh, or you didn't hear it on Zoom, I would encourage you to listen to Lee's sermon on the uh, trap they tried to set with him, asking him if it was okay to pay taxes to Caesar. It was a really wonderful homily and in many ways encapsulates this whole section of Matthew's Gospel. That question 
that we, that we took up last week with Lee, uh, like the one today, all of these attempts to ensnare Jesus fail and make the corrupt religious leadership, well, <laughs> makes them look corrupt for one thing, and it also makes them look silly and uh, really out of their depth. But what Jesus does with this question, the answer that he gives them, wow, that's something. The answer that Jesus gives them is, is an answer that changes the world, changes lives. It's an answer that reveals the very heart of God. Now, now clearly what they're hoping for when they ask him which commandment of the law is the greatest, they're hoping that he'll give an answer that would cause him to lose favor with the people who've come to trust his leadership and wisdom. They were hoping he would answer in a way that, I don't know, maybe would cause division among his followers, like Jesus picked a law that they don't like, right? Or it would make him seem to be siding with one faction or another. Um, or maybe they just hoped that he would stutter and stumble, not seem like he knew the law very well. Um, maybe they thought it would be an opportunity for them to show leadership and have a better answer than he did. Uh, who knows, right? But the point is, is that uh, the religious leadership, which of course we've identified as corrupt, out to get Jesus, they swing and they miss. Jesus hits it way out of the park. Interestingly, the answer that Jesus gives to that question, it's not particularly novel. He simply quotes from two portions of the Old Testament law, the Torah, that were foundational to every faithful Jewish person's formation. The Shema from Deuteronomy, I'm going to read it in its context. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Keep these words that I am commanding you today in your heart. Recite them to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're away, when you lie down and when you rise. Bind them as a sign on your head. Fix them as an emblem on your forehead and write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Then he pairs that with that teaching from Leviticus. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now, what is novel is that Jesus says that everything else in the law must be interpreted in light of these two commandments. That is what he means when he says, on these two, on these two commandments, hang all the law and prophets. What a moment. What a moment. In one exchange here, Jesus brings into sharp focus everything, and I do mean everything, that he's been saying and doing up to this point. Healing on the Sabbath? Well, of course you would heal on the Sabbath, because the twin love commands tell you to do that. Pick some grain and eat it on the Sabbath while on a mission of mercy? Well, of course you would. The twin love commands tell you to interpret the law in that way. Make it clear that all people are welcome to God's table 
by eating with those who are on the margins, those who the religious leadership have deemed to be unworthy to eat with, tax collectors, sinners, prostitutes, in the words of um, the Gospels? Of course you would. How else would you show that the twin love commands are at work in the world to welcome all people to God's table? Forgive your enemies. This is what the love commands of the Old Testament were pointing to, forgiving one's enemies. Jesus makes it clear in Luke's Sermon on the Mount when he says, love your enemies, do good, lend, expect nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, for he himself is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Of course, there's much more than Jesus offering a deeper way of getting at the heart of the law. It is that Jesus will become the love of God in us, so that we might slowly but surely learn what God wants for us in every relationship and in every ethical puzzle. It's what Augustine meant when he wrote, love God and do what you will. We quoted that a few Sundays ago. It is Jesus in us creating the right hungers that will only be satisfied with the food that makes for love, peace, and justice. Or like James Smith says over at Calvin, Said it on the way to communion this morning, or right after communion, one, no, right before it. Um, you are what you love. So, the big picture here of what's going on is, is that Jesus is saying, if you want to understand the Old Testament law, you need to interpret the whole of the Old Testament law through the lens of these two commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, love your as yourself. That's an interpretive thing. But of course, there is the more to it than that, right? Because Jesus says, I've come to fulfill the law and the prophets. And we know by that, that what he has in mind is that Jesus himself will inhabit us, will inhabit us, create with us, within us, the appetites to love what God loves and to love how God loves in this world. This is just that, you know, this is, <laughs> it's easy to just kind of cruise past this and think, oh, this is Jesus getting out of a, another uh, ridiculous effort to trap him rhetorically. But it's so much more than that. It's everything that has happened up to this point now coming into clear focus. Because Jesus is saying, if you want to understand what God is doing in the world, you must understand it through these two commandments. Love God and love people. So, the Beatles were right. All you need is love? Yeah? Sort of. Not exactly sure what theology was operating behind that song, but the phrase itself, yeah. Uh, if the love that we're talking about is the love that Jesus is talking about. And it's not a, and this is what I worry about in our society, well, it's really not up to me to worry about our society, okay? That sounds like grandpa, right? Worried about our society, kids. Well, there's a lot to worry about in our society. Um, but I'm not assuming the role of the prophet here, but I will say this, as an observer of our society, I do worry about love being sort of this free-floating idea that we kind of fill with our own meanings, right? 
the love that Jesus is talking about is not a free-floating idea that we supply the meaning for, that we can shape into whatever makes us happy or suits our sensibilities. When Jesus reduces everything to loving God and loving neighbor, he's doing so within a particular tradition that he's not overturning, but he's fulfilling. For example, the command about loving neighbor as oneself, that's from a portion of Leviticus that talks about farmers leaving some produce in the field for the poor and the immigrant alien and other instructions about how to live justly within one's community. What Jesus is doing with the tradition is taking what is there at one level and embodying the way to talk to and with the tradition and bring it forward to what it pointed to. So, for example, the tradition going all the way back to the original Abrahamic covenant, when God tells Abraham that he's going to bless the whole world through him, including non-Israelites, right? Gentiles, everybody, your descendants, they'll be, they'll be more than you can possibly number. and They'll be from every nation, he says to Abraham. Now we see through this application of the twin love command how this is coming into fruition. Because it's embodied in Jesus. And it begins to come to fruition in Jesus' life when he's willing to eat with anybody and everybody. When he's willing to go into Gentile territory, go out of his way to, in a sense, be reconciled and anticipate reconciliation with non-Israelites, okay? Uh, but it really comes into fruition in the giving of the Spirit at Pentecost, a church for all people and every sort of person. And we see that pictured in Paul's letter to the Galatian church when he says, For in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. As many of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ, there's no longer Jew or Greek. There's no longer slave or free. There's no longer male and female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. And so today, we re realize with great humility and great gravitas that we're to hold space in the world today to extend that and to say there is no Ukrainian, there is no Russian, there's no Palestinian, there's no Israeli, there's no black, there's no white, there's no Republican, there's no Democrat. All are one in Christ Jesus. We cannot lose track of that story. That is our unique story as the church to give to the world, to embody for the world, for the sake of the world. That is our unique story. Don't lose track of it. And what tethers us to that story is learning and growing to see the world through the twin love command. To see Torah through twin love command. To see the New Testament through twin love command. To see all of our relationships through the twin love commands. 
Well, that's just what one example of many that we find in the early church that shows how the twin love commands really capture the imagination of the early church leaders in a wholehearted way and take them in directions that surprise them. I can't resist doing a couple more. Think of Peter being utterly taken aback when he finds himself going to the home of a Roman military leader because that leader, Cornelius, invited him and the Holy Spirit told him to go. You just have to stop and think. This is in Acts 10. If it's not familiar to you off the top of your head, go and read the story. It's fascinating. Because when you think about it, especially with all the violence going on in the world today, you have to think, Peter wonders, is this a trap to kill me? Now, I mean, the Holy Spirit told him, okay? But the Holy Spirit tells us all kinds of things to do, too, through God's Word and through speaking to us quietly. And that doesn't mean we immediately warm to the idea of doing them, right? <laughs> so I have to wonder, does Peter think, is this an ambush? It is an absolute freaking high-up Roman general-type person with soldiers all over the place. And Peter is supposed to go there and tell him about the gospel. Amazing. But he does. He goes. And what he says to Cornelius while preaching the gospel is mind-blowing. He says to him, you know that I'm not supposed to... I'm going to paraphrase this because I think it's a little more fun to do it that way. You know and I know that I'm not supposed to be here. Well, actually what he says is improper for a Jew to associate with you to visit an outsider. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone. Anyone means anyone, okay? In just in case we're wondering. I should not call anyone profane or unclean. This is what he tells Cornelius. He finds it important to make that distinction, to call out the tension that is there because of a fallen world and say that tension is now being transformed and transgressed by the Holy Spirit how does he know that? Because the twin love commands have come to embody what he's doing and guide him along the way through the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. Okay, we could keep going with example after example. We could include the Christ hymn, Philippians 2, 1 through 11, which is really the theological reality that funds all of this that funds, if you will, the coming to life in the new community, the twin love command, because we're invited there to have the same mind in us that Christ Jesus had, same pattern of thinking, feeling, and being, not to regard equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage, but emptying himself, taking on the form of a slave, going to the cross. Here's the reality. The twin love command animates a community captures wholeheartedly the imagination of a community. Uh, we learn how to apply these twin commands to all the complex situations we face in our lives. Now, notice I did not say, <coughs> and no offense to any particular one of us, I'll count myself in this, but I made it a community statement for a reason, because as Luke Timothy Johnson says, not one of us believes as much or as well as we do in community together. As a community, we are able, by the 
empowering presence of the Holy Spirit to suss out how to bring these two love commands to life in all the complex situations that we face together as a community and as individual people. Guided by what is at heart, what is at the heart of the twin love commands, that every human being is born to be loved in the way that God loves us, will enable us to work towards never objectifying our fellow human beings, never objectifying them, or using them as tools for our pleasure or enriching ourselves. We will see our responsibility to be reconcilers in the name of the gospel of peace rather than perpetuating cycles of violence and estrangement. When we're animated by the twin love commands, we become those who wholeheartedly submit our affections to God. And when we don't, we ask for refreshing and repentance, inviting God to give us the appetites that conform to his desire for the flourishing of all people. That's a moment when Jesus answers the question the way that he does. And I look forward to when this comes up in the Gospel of Luke reading, because then it's followed up by, who's my neighbor? <laughs> All right, I didn't get you that one, but I'm going to get you now. That's a whole other sermon, okay? But it's more of the same. Uh, may God give us the grace and the wisdom and the, and the gift of God's empowering presence to help sort out what it looks like to live this way as a community together, especially in the times in which we live. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We'll take time now as a church to respond by singing together. Jesus, we know your love in this. Um, we'll play the melody through once. We haven't sung this one in a while together. So we'll play it for you to refresh, and then we'll sing all three verses together. Please stand and sing with us. <clears throat> 